1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more and to subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. With all that said, on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast and the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Our guest today is a musician, writer, and professional funny person whose work you may have seen on YouTube, where she rose to power as the artist formerly known as Cosby Sweater, in the pages of Mad Magazine, where she served as that company's first female editor, on the Everything's Coming Up Simpsons podcast, which she co-hosted with the great Julia Prescott for a number of years, on Mystery Science Theater 3000, where she was a writer, and most recently, over on Kickstarter, where she recently launched a successful campaign to fund Nine Inch Nails Peeled Back, a collection of Nine Inch Nails covers that, in my humble estimation, uh, whips a tremendous amount of ass. In addition to Peeled Back, she's here today to talk about a very specific corner of the Stephen King kingdom, 1994's Treehouse of Horror 5, which featured The Shinning, one of the more iconic segments in The Simpsons' uh, annual series of Halloween episodes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome to the KingCast stage, Ms. Allie Gertz. Allie, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm good. I'm very excited. You must be. Uh, you must be pretty excited about the fact that your Kickstarter got funded in what was it? Two minutes? Is that how long it took? <laughs> it was two and a half minutes. Let's not. Let's two and not... a half. Two and a half. Yeah, let's not inflate our head here. Come on. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm thrilled. I genuinely. Um, it's such a weird project. Um, and also it's obviously not original work. So I was like, there's no way, there's no way that this is going to do anything. So I, I put a pretty low, um, amount, um, and, uh, was thrilled that people care. There are massive Nine Inch Nails fans that would, they don't care who I am, which is great for me. Right. Um, and God, yeah, all those piggies. It's wonderful. I was going to say, like, you really cannot underestimate the the power of that particular audience. Like it's they wonderful. are freaks for nail stuff. And you know, it's been a while since we got any, any new nails, uh, uh, a new album or anything like that. Fans of that persuasion are always, always happy to see some new shit coming down the pipe. Even if it's, you know, uh, a collection of covers, even um, if it's shitty and not Trent, <laughs> it's not shitty though. I have listened to, you've sent me a number of, snippets some yes. of them some of them unfinished but yes. everything i have heard that you have done and you have a couple of snippets on the uh the kickstarter page itself mm -hmm. uh they sound great to me i i'm a huge huge fan of this band and uh it's it's always interesting to me to hear rearrangements of their songs or remixes or complete covers you know some of them uh, are not so successful 
I will say. Um, your stuff sounded fucking great from the get-go. And uh, Thank you. You know, yeah, there there aren't a ton of covers. There are obviously um a few on YouTube and um there's a YouTuber that I love that you probably know, um Ixy Music. She just put out a downward spiral like piano album, like all piano covers, which was really cool. Um but you don't get that many covers um which makes sense because so much of what makes Nine Inch Nails Nine Inch Nails is like all of these crazy layers and soundscapes and Mm-hmm. Just like there's just so much that it's kind of hard to distill into um, something new, um, especially since most people that like Nine Inch Nails probably wouldn't really listen to like folksy, cutesy stuff. So <laughs> I'm excited to kind of like bridge that gap. I think it'll be really fun. And, and you know, I, I joke about it being shitty, but to be honest, this is <laughs> the project I think I was put on this earth to make. But no, truly, I, I really, really have been having so much fun making it. And it's scary to send it to a Nine Inch Nails fan like yourself because mostly um, every single person involved in the project does not know Nine Inch Nails by design. I kind of wanted it to be people that um, were new to this world and mm-hmm. we're kind of being introduced to Nine Inch Nails through the project. Um, and then you show it to someone who actually knows their shit. And I was like, oh man, what if Scott hates this? So I'm so <laughs> glad. <laughs> I'm so glad that I got your stamp of approval. <laughs> on, on the mention of, you know, the cr- I, I think the crew not being Nails fans is a great move. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the mention of them being new to it, uh, something I I learned about you, and this is this was very interesting, is that you came to your Nine Inch Nails fandom much later in life, like somewhat recently, just in the last few years. Is that correct? Oh, it has not even been my one year anniversary yet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But it's about to be. Um, It's like March 24th is the anniversary of me um, (laughs) listening to Nine Inch Nails for the first time. And I remember the date because it was that impactful. Um, Yeah, I I had a boss who always wore a Nine Inch Nails hat. And um, for the most part, I thought that he had really garbage taste in music. Um, But (laughs) I was like, what? All right, who's Nine Inch Nails? And um, on a, he gave me a ride home from the office one day that my car wasn't working and he kind of had me hostage musically. And he's like, he put on the downward spiral and it was, you know, background music. We were talking. Mm-hmm. I was like, what, what is this? And I like, it just kind of like entered my brain in a way that I was like, I need to ask him what that was and listen to it. And I asked like, what were we listening to yesterday? And he, he told me it was the downward spiral, but he recommended like start with pretty hate machine and just go down the entire catalog. Like if you like it, you'll love it. Um, it gets pretty insane, but definitely check it out. And so it just found me at a time that like, I really, 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 really needed it. And it changed my life musically and emotionally. And I have never felt more like a like a teenage angry boy <laughs> in the <laughs> period of my life. And I just feel like it really like it just really connected to me. I don't know. It it was so special. And because I liked it so much, I was like, I have to share this with my family. And I knew that they wouldn't like it as is. So I was like, let's try making like pretty <laughs> versions. And then they'll understand why reptile is actually empowering to women. Um, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> um, I'm curious, uh, like, what was your perception of Trent Reznor as a, as a person? And, and Vespi, I'm going to ask you this question too, because you, uh, you you are not as as diehard a, a nails fan as m- myself or or mm. Allie, but you know, but you grew up in the '90s. Allie, you're a little younger than us, but you you must have been aware of Trent Reznor. So I'm curious. Oh, what? No, I was not aware of Trent Reznor yeah, at same. all. How? Um, I yeah. only knew him as a composer, um, and I first heard his name and had it click with me with the Social Network because I yeah. love the Social Network soundtrack so much. Yeah. Um, but. 
you know, before that, I just really didn't have any exposure to him, not cognizant exposure anyway. And um, part of that is that my dad is like a huge music snob. And so we only listened to like, there was never any like radio. It was always just like my dad's iPod or CDs. And it was just like Power Pop and the Kinks and the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and like, mm. just like whatever my dad liked, which I loved, by the way, but yeah. I just missed out on a lot of stuff. Um, and uh, it it was so funny, like how little I knew about Trent Reznor that I really wish that I could find this tweet. I'm pretty positive I did not make this up, but I remember there was this viral tweet. Someone had just asked, like, "Hey, is the name Nine Inch Nails like referring to like nine inch long nails or like the number quantity nine inch long nails, <laughs> like one inch long nails?" And then Trent Reznor <laughs> responded saying, like, he quote tweeted it saying, like, nine inch long nails. Um, and then that went viral. And then I remember looking at that being like, who cares what Trent Reznor thinks about nine inch nails? <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was when I grew up and realized, um, oh, okay, now I get why that <laughs> makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, very, very much the same for me. Like I, I got, I took notice of Reznor whenever he and Atticus Ross started doing movie soundtracks because that's my my thing like i pretty much my entire exposure to any music that was made after like 1980 is through movie soundtracks so either yeah, needle drops sure. or you know or scores like that's kind of the shit i was you know would always listen to um for nine inch nails of course i clocked that it was a thing but it was you know the weird dudes in the the big baggy black uh, pants with n- too many pockets and chains hanging down to the to the floor in high school that that's what they were listening to that's pretty much all i uh oh i thought you meant that's what they were dressing like nine inch nails was dressing (laughs) like i'm like what fucking era was that (laughs) no no that's just like my my uh my exposure to that was essentially like hearing you know the through the headphones or whatever is the the goth kids were walking around uh the high school uh listening to um so yeah i didn't really take notice of trent reznor as a as a musician really until until the soundtrack stuff so which i I, I love and I I will someday I'm, I'm I will someday uh, experience this nine inch nails business. Matter of fact, maybe the next time we uh, we end up on a road trip, you know, like uh, like oh, yeah? our drive from Boston to Bangor, you know, maybe yeah, uh, totally. Maybe oh, baby. You'll, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna me. play you all the hits. Yeah, don't worry about that. Well, Scott, yeah. are you going to? So, if you're introducing somebody to Nine Inch Nails, do you go the route that I went, which is you go chronologically, or do you curate a playlist? What's what is the best way to introduce someone to the band? You think, or is it I do think, you play them the Alley Gertz Nine Inch I mean, Nails? Go back. <laughs> whoever, whoever, <laughs> whoever told you to start with Pretty Hate Machine is not wrong. You know, the correct way to do it is just start at the beginning. And watch the progression of it because that's that's how I am too with everything with the Simpsons. I I always do that too. People always want to ask me as a quote unquote Simpsons expert, "Hey, where do I start?" And like you start at the first episode. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. I mean, if but you just if you want the have... hits, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, I can play you the hits, but sure. if you're making a legitimate go at it, that said, like I think that if I were sitting around with someone and they they said, "I've never heard Nine Inch Nails before. I want to know what that's like." Uh, I think I would start with the downward spiral and just yes. play them that. It's that's how I would start. I would say season four of The Simpsons is <laughs> the downward spiral <laughs> equivalent. <laughs> and I would say, uh, actually, this is a fun game. What would you say would be the closer of 
the close the closer equivalent of the Simpsons? Would it be monorail? Uh, the monorail. Yes. yes, the monorail episode. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's the song that even if you have if you claim to have never heard Nine Inch Nails, you have almost certainly heard closer, either, you know, diegetically, just on the background somewhere, maybe in a movie, or, you know, if you've ever been to, say, uh, an adult leaning establishment that, that traffics in, in dancing <laughs> yes. and, and to Okay, wait. I, I actually, I recently went to um, an adult establishment, let's say. Um, I'll actually call it out just because it's a cool place. Um, uh, a Jumbo's Clown Room in LA. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, <laughs> there's <I'm> familiar. A, <laughs> yes. There is a place, um, or sorry, there is a woman uh, who dances there who um, has danced to um, Nine Inch Nails, and I was genuinely shocked by her song choice because um, you would think that it's closer. Um, so let me ask you, if it's not closer, what is the next song that you would guess? Well, I'm guessing it's an unfortunate choice to some degree. <laughs> I, I, think won't lead the, I won't lead you. You have you to guess. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to go head like a hole. <laughs> that actually I actually feel like that makes a little bit more sense. If you want to give one more guess, uh, please do. Sin? It's not. That would be that would make more sense. Um the only time. <laughs> the only wow. time. I think this is such a diehard Nine Inch Nails fan to go with the only time off the hate machine. Yeah. And it's also kind of the most like hair metal of all of the Nine Inch Nails songs. Um, <laughs> but I just for days could not stop thinking about her, which maybe was her tactic of like, I need to pick a song that is going <laughs> to yeah. like really just be like stumping alley of like, why did she pick this? Um, Sunspots would have been the perfect song. Oh, yeah. That's like that is a stripper song. Sunspots is the one that's got a noise that sounds like a dentist drill to me. Like, <laughs> like it's, yeah, I know that. That song. has been yes. an interesting part of my album of figuring out like what songs, um, you know, what sounds do I want to keep and what songs do I like pay homage to and what songs do I completely mm. avoid? Because it's hard. It's listen, it's hard making a Nine Inch Nails cover album. You have to make those types of choices because you're it, some of the things if you don't do it, it's like a slap in the face. You'd be like, I can't believe that you like it would be like, imagine if I did the closer cover and then didn't have the piano motif at the end. It would be. Yeah, that would like, be I'd be arrested. Yeah. Um, but there are certain sound effects like that, too, where like you can't like I can't imagine not doing um, I don't know, some of the screaming stuff in the becoming, and yet I have to find a way to do that so that it's not completely alienating right. to my mom. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, two things. One, uh, if you've never heard, uh, I believe it's an unreleased track, but you can still find it called Purest Feeling, which is recorded around the time. Like, I want to say that's like pre-Pretty Hate Machine sessions. Um, it is... It is deeply embarrassing to listen to. Um, <laughs> Why? So I would, because it's not good. It's I mean, the really name is good. a little leading. <laughs> it's it's really uh, it's very sax heavy, if I remember correctly. I haven't heard oh. it in years, but my friends and I used to have <laughs> like a running joke about purest feeling, just being like the best Nine Inch Nails song. <laughs> um, I am gonna have sax on my album. That is a non a non negotiable for me because when I saw him live for the when I saw Nine Inch Nails live for the first time um, last year, I saw them like three times in a row. I went with um, Andrew Lobel, who's my boss, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and um, I was like because I had listened to the early album so many times, um, I didn't listen that much to like Bad Witch or like 
you know, some of the other stuff. And uh, I only like maybe like two weeks prior to the show had like discovered like, oh, wow, he's a saxophonist <laughs> and like yeah. really, really good and like doing cool shit with it. Um, and it was just so fun to see it live because um, he's so he's so much stronger than a saxophonist should be. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, yeah, I need to put this on the album somewhere. Yeah, they've they've definitely been incorporating more horns into their later stuff, like more recent stuff, which I, I fucking love. I love you know? it. Um, Purest Feeling era maybe needed some more work. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is ju- just to your mention of like uh, weird sound effects in the song, uh, songs. I remember reading a thing. Uh, I, I, I want to say it was around the time the fragile came out because it was about the fragile and yeah. that one of the sounds on that album is a broken ukulele in a box that they were just shaking. <laughs> like who the fuck whatever, you know, well, so good luck I, on recreating some of these sounds <laughs> is my point. Well, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about nine inch nails soundscape stuff while rewatching, uh, the shining, um, not the shinning. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, just some of the soundscape stuff seems so ripe for, um, nine inch nail sampling. Like when Jack is throwing the ball against the wall, mm. it's just such <laughs> yes. a cool sound. And it actually kind of reminds me of the opening to Mr. Self-Destruct, um, which is sampled from the movie THX 1138. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of had that similar, like you can't quite tell exactly what you're hearing, but it's so violent and so drum-like and so like primal, visceral, primal. Yes, totally. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I want to do while you're here Yes. Is uh, you have you have brought us an as yet unreleased snippet from from one of your songs, which is uh, March of the Pigs, which is obviously the you know song of the same name from the Downward Spiral. And just to just to set up this clip and to really drive home the point of for anyone who's unfamiliar, um, how different these approaches are. Um, I almost said is the first time I ever heard Nine Inch Nails. It was the song March of the Pigs. And I remember this was around the time I first started getting into Nirvana. I was re- I was like 12 or 13, I guess. And, you know, up until that point in my life, I had only ever heard songs that my parents listened to in the car or played at home. You know, like, like you were saying earlier with your dad's iPod, it's, you know, that's kind of how most people grow up, I think. And then you start yeah. developing your own musical taste. And the first time I heard Nirvana in bloom, it was like a nuclear explosion went off in my head. I had no idea music could sound like that. And so I was in that era of discovering new music and experimenting with all different kinds of stuff. And uh, a buddy of mine came over to the house. <clears throat> he's like, you have got to hear this. And he's got a little jewel case in his hand, like a CD jewel case. That's what they were called yeah. for our, <laughs> our younger <laughs> listeners. Um, Back in our day, we called him a jewel case. Not, not, not and, a, uh, a housing for his vape. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I assume we're literally like a thing with diamonds and rubies in it. <laughs> you gotta hear this it's crown, oh, fancy. It's the cat's pajamas. <laughs> so the fucking um, he puts on March of the Pigs, and it started. And as soon as like March of the Pigs starts off like, and then Trent Reznor starts screaming at like full velocity. <laughs> and I remember sitting there thinking, my God, this is the loudest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and uh, that made me it, it right then and there. I became a Nine Inch Nails fan for fucking life. Ugh, like, it I just love it. Changed me instantly. So with all of that said, I would like to uh, I would like for us to play this this snippet of your version of of March of the Pigs. 
Did we want to hear Nine Inch Nails' version? I don't think we have that uploaded. (laughs) We don't. We do not. So (laughs) everyone go pause. Everyone Everyone, pause. Everyone pause. Go listen to the first 30 (laughs) to 40 seconds. The loudest thing you've ever heard and screaming. (laughs) Yes. And now, Allie's version. Step right up, march, push, crawl right up on your knees, please, greet, feed. I want a little bit, I want a piece of it, I think he's losing it, I wanna watch it come down, don't like the look of it, don't like the taste of it, don't like the smell of it. Yeah, that is hot fucking fire. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Eric, did you listen to the? Did you did you do your homework like I asked to listen to the the other version? Yeah, I, I absolutely did, and uh, they I, I can't tell the difference between the two. Honestly, so, <laughs> well, you know. no, no, it's it's uh, it, it is crazy as somebody who isn't like super well versed in in uh, nine inch nails where it's like the, the original version is kind of what I had in my mind is like the, the young snobby, like, cause I was kind of like, Allie's like, you know, I listen to Beatles and beach boys and fifties sure. and sixties and seventies yeah, yeah. shit. And, uh, and listening to nine inch nails now it's like, Oh yeah, that's the kind of what I imagined it would be. Obviously it is very, um, uh, you know, it, yeah, I have a much better appreciation because I'm not as as uh, set in my ways now. I'm a little bit more open to uh, newer things. But I mean, you're talking to the kid who like it, I didn't get into Metallica until I was in my 30s. You know what I mean? It, it takes me a long fucking fucking time to catch up to that stuff. Um, do you yeah, not no, like I'm, do you not like, you know, rough music, you know, metal shit like that? This which is like an industrial metal kind of thing i don't not like it but you know my my tastes tend to go to you know to the beatles not not that yeah kind of, so, but even that like the beatles has has moments where you'll get into helter skelter or whatnot and, and then they'll you know I, I can definitely feel the blood pumping listening to this stuff uh so i don't know i'm the exact wrong person to <laughs> to to ask about about all, uh anything music musically that uh happened like i don't know after 1989 maybe <laughs> no that's fine that's fine yeah. um when i when we take our next little road trip i'll, I'll play you some stuff maybe maybe yeah. not so aggressive you know maybe <laughs> maybe a little a little calmer um but anyway i'm well, i'm well, in just to, as a, the thing that actually kind of got me into metallica wasn't their hard stuff at first so you might be onto something it was one when i heard the song one and i'm just like this is fucking incredible yeah. Um. And uh. And I'm like, oh, I want to listen to other music. And then, of course, you know, that's kind of an outlier, right? Uh, yeah. It's their, like extreme, like getting into them from more than words, and they're like, yes. I need more of this. And like, oh yes, no. Yeah. So it it, it may, maybe I do need uh, that that approach, and you know, now I can, you know, rock out is, and headbang or whatever. But... Is one on the black <laughs> album, convincing. or is that on Ride the Lightning? <laughs> I don't. Does I anyone don't know? know? I yeah, know. I never really got into Metallica. You know, they're fine. Um, but it <laughs> never I don't know, metal never really worked for me. There's something about right. the 
the industrial nature of Nine Inch Nails, the the electronic component right. that I find really compelling. And best be really what you ought to be listening to is Ghosts, which is a series okay. of Nine Inch Nails albums that are all music. There's no vocals in them. So if beautiful. you like the social, yeah, they're stunning. Um, there's like four of those. And actually, mm. I think that was, that might have been the last thing they released was that like dual album that they released for free during the, uh, during quarantine. <laughs> it was just like, uh, life sucks. Here's a free album, you know, <laughs> which was fucking rad. Yeah. Anyway, um, Ali, uh, I'm, I'm so excited for you and what you're doing. And Thank I'm you. doubly excited that it sounds good and I like <laughs> it, you know, um, and be I would very encourage... awkward if you didn't, it would be, yeah. it would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, I would show this will be perfect. <laughs> I love my yeah. nails. Yikes. Just ruin your yeah. favorite thing. <laughs> Welcome to the show. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You brought me here to yell at me. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to briefly just for one more second, talk about March of the pigs because March of the pigs to me and Scott, I think we talked a tiny bit about this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a good example of like Trent Reznor's sense of humor. Um, so, yes. um, I, I just think that, um, playing with silence and um, just this aggressive, loud, noisy, violent nature that the song has to then break and turn into major chord and doesn't it make you feel better is so funny and so good. <laughs> and it actually, I was thinking of it um, because when I was rewatching The Shining, I was thinking about how fun the music is in terms of it does this thing called Mickey Mousing. Are you guys familiar with this? Have you talked about no. this on the show? So Mickey Mousing is a term when music is matching the motion. Um, so oh. if you watch some of the scenes. Um, so like Baby Driver is hardcore. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it actually used to be kind of something that you'd see a lot in silent movies. And obviously Mickey Mouse is a perfect example because there's no talking. Um, ah. You would find, you know, if he's uh, given a high five, there would be like a little sound that kind of mimics your hand going up and then a clap, something like that. Um, and you get a lot of this in The Shining, although The Shining is unique because it's playing with horror. And so it's playing with the horrific sound effects. And so you get mm. Danny when he's walking into... Um, um, room 237 and if you rewatch that scene every single line like little tiny movement is being kind of brought to life with a with a violin or like a little sound there's like something mm. that's kind of doing it and there's even that kind of hooking sound uh, like a like a rod being cast kind of inviting you into that room like it's all being matched and it's really cool and you know a, a really good example of um this working is uh the building and building and building um when they're in the maze right before it goes uh tuesday <laughs> and like it just looks like gigantic and then like you're waiting for the scariest thing you could imagine and then it's tuesday <laughs> and to me that's the same thing that happens in march of the pigs where it's like it's building it's building it's building and doesn't it make you feel better you're like wait what <laughs> that's good um okay so we got to talk about stephen king shit some more because the listeners will kill me Otherwise, um, <laughs> let's let's start with, of course, your your Stephen King origin story. Allie. Got it. Yeah. So um, I think this is true of a lot of people that were raised um, in the 90s, that a lot of parodies were really, really popular. And 
I guess that's actually true of Mad Magazine too, that some people like saw the parody before the thing that was being parodied. Sure. Um, but this was the case for me for sure. The Shining was um, parodied, as we'll discuss, in The Simpsons as The Shinning because they didn't want to get sued. Um, and that was absolutely my first uh, introduction to anything that Stephen King had ever written. Um, and after that, it would have been um, Stand By Me which I love. And I also got the book, which was exciting, but kind of weird because I had not, I didn't understand how it could be called The Body. I was like, Mm -hmm. Dad, you're lying to me. (laughs) Like, stand by me. And I read it and I was like, okay. It was the first time I'd ever seen an adaptation of something. um, And it actually gave me a love of always watching the movie first. Um, I Hmm. love to watch the movie first because otherwise I'll hate the book. Um, I... Uh, or I'll hate the movie. Like, I like having kind of... <laughs> I was like, like what, dude? Oh, sorry, other way around. <laughs> well, for example, um, if you watch... If you read the book first, like I did with Harry Potter, then I hate the movie because it's just like, they did everything wrong and everything's bad. But if you, you know, go back and read the book after, then you're kind of like, deleted scenes. <laughs> like, I get yeah, to like yeah, spend yeah. more time with my friends. This is great. Um, so now I almost always watch the movie of anything first because I just want to love both. Um, but another example of um, a parody thing uh, entering my consciousness before the original <laughs> is one of my favorite SNL sketches when I was a little kid was um, the Ed Ed Glosser like um, trivial psychic, psychic. yes yeah. <laughs> doing Dead yeah. Zone and I remember my dad <laughs> having to explain it to me because like I had no idea what Dead Zone was and I just remember quoting the um, what's that actor's name. Christopher Walken. Yeah, Christopher Walken doing that character all the time. I just loved him like with the most trivial life, trivial things like you're going to get an ice cream headache. It's going to hurt real bad yeah. for about six real minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but since then, um, you know, I – I would say, I don't know, there was just stuff on. Like, I, I, I've i since gotten really – like, I was going to ask to do The Mist because that's one of my favorite movies of all time. But mm. um, I do have um, a pretty interesting introduction to The Shining. Um, I watched it in a film class, and I it was spread out amongst, like, four periods of school. And um, I was 17 years old and I was watching it for the first time and I hadn't really watched anything scary before. Not like I think I'd still been traumatized by like Large Marge and like Pee Wee's mm-hmm. Big Adventure. Mm-hmm. I'm just always, I've always been a scaredy cat. And I was watching the movie like with the lights on in the daytime, not that scary. And then, you know, I go home and I have to write about it. Um, for my class. And in order to write about it, I'm researching it like crazy. Like I'm watching mm-hmm. all the video essays and reading all these things. And it's it's being alone at night in the computer room, like writing about The Shining that I start to get really, really scared. And the next morning, it was my birthday. So like overnight, I turned 18. And I woke up um, from a nightmare, uh, just I was like reliving scenes from The Shining, and I wet my bed <laughs> because I was so <laughs> scared. <laughs> so I will always associate like me turning into an adult in the most humiliating, embarrassing way possible because I was so scared of The Shining. I just want to tell you that the audio dropped out while you were talking. Oh, no. So you no, it was good because on my end, what I heard was, and so I had to go home and write about it. And then there was silence for about a minute. And then it cut back in right when you went. And, I and then bed. I wet my bed. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, your your audio is, is good, though. I think it was just a, some weird glitch here. Okay, the, great. Yeah. I only told that story once. 
we unless got you guys pay me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to listen to this episode and find out more. Um, <laughs> so, are, so uh, have you read a lot of the books though, or so, um, the first book that I read? Not, no, not, not at all, really. The um, Secret Window, Secret Garden is the first thing that I ever read, mm-hmm. um, and um, that actually. I have like a bittersweet association with it because I remember I used to be really scared reading the Harry Potter books and um, like the fifth Harry Potter book used to scare me so much because I don't know, it was, there was fighting and evil stuff. And then I started reading Secret Windows of Your Garden and I was so like edge of my seat, so scared that I would read the fifth Harry Potter book to calm me down. Mm-hmm. And I told my dad like, dad, look at how amazing it is. Like I used to be afraid of this. And now I've like overcome it and I read it to make me chill out. And he was like, that's kind of sad though. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I didn't think of it as being sad, but I guess it is dad. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I remember like getting viscerally angry in that book um, about like fake scenarios. Cause like, hmm. I feel like a cat gets killed um, in it and I love cats so yeah. much. And, mm-hmm. and I remember just like making myself mad thinking about like, if my uncle ever killed my cat, I'd be furious. Like, why was I doing those thought experiments? Um, I'm too sensitive to read and watch many things, to be honest. Um, I just <laughs> – it's it's good that I never listened to Nine Inch Nails until recently because I would have been just a horrible, terrifying person, I think. I, I get too obsessed. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, aside from The Body and um, I read Carrie and then, you know, I think just a few things in high school. I haven't really read that many – um, Stephen King books, but that's because mm-hmm. I don't really read. <laughs> mm. I'm not proud to admit that at all, but I'm I'm really not much of a reader. But I think it's because I have ADHD. Mm. Yeah, that'll do Hard it. Focus. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, that'll... if if you want like a really chill, you know, because King has a couple of of things that he's written that's that's not meant to like freak you out. Um, if you want a really chill, if I'm one... not if I'm not peeing the bed, I don't know if I want it. <laughs> really, that's okay. what I always say. <laughs> no, no, say please. Though, if you, if you, What's chill? My grandmother wanna... used to say it <laughs> about me. That's so weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, he was she, a time traveler. A whole, a whole book of uh, alleyisms. Um, no, but I was gonna say is like if you want something really chill, yeah, um, that that won't freak you out. Try a, a book you wrote called Revival. Oh really... Jesus, fuck. I feel like you're <laughs> me. Shut up, shut up. Yeah, no, it's this really super, su- like, really sweet story about, uh, about like, a, a young Overcoming addiction. With, yeah, yeah. Real okay, power of electricity. His faith say, with, how much I love that. It, I just love how much I trust you guys. I just love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Revival is the book that we recommend to everybody. It's, like, one of his somewhat newer books. You know, it came out, like, th- this is late stage King. And kind of like an un- unsung masterpiece, in our opinion. So we push that on a lot of people. And what ends up happening is that people will, you know, tag us on Twitter and <laughs> post a picture of the book and be like, got my copy of Revival, the King cast. Are you proud of me? And we'll be like, yep, go right on ahead. <laughs> and then you get to the end of that book and it's the most existentially fucking terrifying thing that King has ever written. Wow. And so you'll hear back from these people about a week later and they're like, what the fuck, man? (laughs) Um, So it's now gone from like a a, a very serious recommendation to uh, people are just getting pranked by reading the entirety (laughs) of Revival and uh, coming away with, you know, uh, well, they have to go into therapy after that. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. You know, therapy (laughs) is a good thing. So, you know, we feel like we're doing a service. Is this about to become a better help ad? 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. That, it's on our <laughs> mid roll uh, schedule this, this week, I think. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So let's, let's talk about, uh, the shinning. Um, first of all, when was, when was the first mm. time you guys saw this, uh, episode? Mm. I would have technically seen it when it came out, um, but I would have been three. So uh-huh. I don't know <laughs> that I would have necessarily gotten every single reference and joke. Um, sure. Don't know <laughs> that we can count that. Don't know that we can count it. Um, but I I have memories of watching it um, when it was on in syndication around the holidays, uh, or I guess around mm-hmm. Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for sure that when the DVDs came out, I would have been religiously Rewatching right. this certainly every October, yeah, and I, I mean, watch it every single year. Right. People, it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, right now the people of today they're so used to having everything at their fingertips, you know, at, at any point. The reason why I think I love Halloween so much is that you know, for that month of programming, every time I turn on the TV, there would be something quote unquote spooky, even if it was. Uh, Treehouse of Terror or whatever. Um, so it, it's hard to kind of today tell people like just what it, Treehouse of Terror meant for like horror kids back then, you know, where it's a thing you watch with the family. It was, you know, it, it, it rewatching this one, I was actually kind of struck by how extreme <laughs> it went. Like it, it's funny and silly, but then like by the end of the episodes, the entire fucking simpsons family rip their own skin off and do a dance number, <laughs> like as inside out people like leaving blood trails everywhere i'm like fuck me oh yeah I was like that that is that is way darker than i remember um yeah nightmare cafeteria yeah. is genuinely so scary um <laughs> and this sh- and this shinning is so scary like it's the simpsons like treehouse of horror episodes get so dark and i feel like it really it's kind of like looney tunes where like it's asking the audience to be smart like it's asking that you're able to do it and you know the simpsons always did this really awesome funny thing where marge or someone would come out on stage before the episode begins and warn you basically (laughs) like you're about to get into some scary shit and i actually really love when they um will kind of make fun of other things it's kind of a nice little um like what do you call it I don't know. It it just kind of like a time capsule. <laughs> sure. Um, but uh, I I think that the, in this one they were calling out like Congress saying that it's too scary to broadcast and that they're going to play two hundred miles to Oregon instead. Um, right. right. <laughs> I, I just think it's so good. I think I'm a, I I must have seen The Shining before I saw The Shining. Um, because mm-hmm. I, I saw The Shining when I was my age was still in the single digits. I think I would I I'm going to say nine, maybe ten. When I saw The Shining and I would have been 12, I think, when this episode came out, yeah. maybe. I don't know. The The timeline's something like that. But um, wait, how old were you when you saw The Shining? Very young, nine or ten. Oh, my like, God. I, I was reading I was reading King pretty young. I was a morbid kid. Um, my parents were pretty permissive in terms of what I read. Um, not so much what I watched. They were a little more limiting on that. But with reading, they were just happy that I was reading, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, I've, I've told a story on the show before about, you know, I got in trouble for reading a Stephen King book in like elementary school or, or something wow. when I was a kid. And my folks were just like, well, he's fucking reading, isn't he? 
Oh you know, what do you, what do you people want? Um, <laughs> I did so, read Clockwork Orange when I was um, 11 and it was, um, <laughs> it was something. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't, you know, that's written in the vernacular of the Droog, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if I could have even possibly absorbed that at that age. It, I don't think I could read that today. It all went over my head. Yeah. I have, I'm going to be completely honest. Like I, like there were, I just didn't know anything like beyond virginal, yeah. just like just desperately wanted to be seen reading a book that I could say had sex in it. Definitely <laughs> did not understand a second of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough book. You know, it's a tough I, I movie, think but I love it. Yeah, tough. Yeah, yeah, tough movie. Uh, Simpsons also references Clockwork Orange. There's a lot of Kubrick um, references all the time in yeah. uh, in The Simpsons. They they could not be bigger fans. A lot of fucking film nerds on that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I can't really speak to what the show was like now because I've I fell off on watching it many many years ago. And sure. I don't I don't think I've seen like what would be for me a new episode in at least 15 years. Yeah. Like I just I, I just keep up out. with. I keep up with the um, Halloween episodes um, just mm-hmm. because, you know, it's an event um, and, you know, they actually just had the most recent one um, stream at, at uh, like the Universal Studios and there was like a little party. It was a really good oh, episode, actually. It was actually, I would say that people that haven't watched The Simpsons in a long time um, would really like this episode because it's very meta and has really great um, callbacks to previous Treehouse of Horrors and it's really well done. Hmm. Well, maybe I'll have to check some of that out. I did check yeah. out, you know, after after revisiting the shinning, I did watch uh, some of the uh, not it. It's called right. the yes. uh, it parody that they did. And I don't know, man, it just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about it. I, w- I would be I would have to watch it. Again. I would have to be watching it with you to like go through it like a scene by scene and be like, yeah, th- that joke doesn't land or this I, I don't particularly like or whatever. But I gave it about 20 minutes and was kind of like, I get it. I get it. But- well, it's really weird because I think what makes The Simpsons um, parodies work so well, and I wouldn't even say that they're necessarily like a straight parody, is um, you don't have to have seen the movie that they're referencing to, to be invested. And they right. really do a great job. And, you know, with the Cape Fear um, satire that they do yes. is like almost, Cape Fear and then The Shining are almost beat for beat which is amazing because it's a seven minute segment. <laughs> um, but I- I'm so amazed by how much they're able to like just distill the movie that they're covering mm-hmm. so quickly without it feeling handholdy. And like, I-, I-, I just think it's so masterful and I don't really exactly even know how they do it. I couldn't well, in, do that shit. And something that uh, jumps to mind is just the opening of the shinning where, the, it, it's such a specific joke of the you know you get the overhead shot and the simpsons are driving in the mountains or close to the hotel and he's like oh did you leave the the door unlocked and you go dope and then it suddenly goes like tuesday <laughs> you know it uses the same sting and, yes and all that and then they repeat you that like three the back times door. did you remember to lock the front funnier. door don't don't yes right. <laughs> that is such a specific that's like a a, a filmmaker joke Right, like of of you using that pacing and that that sting for the for the title card and and everything, because you know my memory of it was really just the the whole um uh you know Willie joke of of the title, right? That that was the only thing I really remembered from this. 
Do you want to get sued? Weirdly, one of the most iconic uh, (laughs) Simpsons lines. Like, people are still making that joke. Oh, yeah. And, like, I... It's um, it's weird that that one joke out of this seven minute segment out of this one episode is like up there with with some of the other like major quotes from this series. But that's right. just, you know, I think that just speaks to, uh, you know, how well crafted this uh, this particular segment is. Right. And I watched it the other day. I watched I watched it the other day and I had an interesting reaction to it where I didn't. I didn't necessarily find it funny. Like, I don't think I laughed at it. I was too caught up in the nostalgia of it, mm-hmm. I think. Because, like, I'm, I'm watching it scene for scene. It's seven minutes long. There's probably seven great jokes in it. And each minute is building to one of those jokes. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how it's built. Um, and I wasn't, I guess I wasn't really paying attention to the gags. It was just, God, I remember when this aired. And I remember, like, Oh, I remember that moment and I'd forgotten about this, but there it is. And, you know, I was I was so swept up in it that my perception of it when it ended was, well, that wasn't very funny. But, man, that was a wild thing to rewatch after all these years. And then I rewatched it again this morning, purely focused on the writing. And it is like it's pretty tightly crafted and it's it's a lot funnier than my initial rewatch. Let me Mm. believe, you know, there's some killer shit in this. Yeah, it's extremely dense with jokes. Like even just that opening segment has like four jokes of the Tuesday and the back door and the grandpa. Like it, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and everything with um. I, I, well, I think the casting choices are really great. Um, uh-huh. obviously, like you know, the writers' room is deciding like we're going to do a parody of The Shining. Who should be, um, who should be who? Like obviously, the family kind of plays itself out but making kind of the Ullman character burns is so mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. because i don't know how evil the Ullman character like is supposed to be really like is he more <laughs> pr- like but like burns just plays it so well and giving like giving smithers so much to do is also great like mm. burns is doing this on purpose burns is keeping the family <laughs> yeah. like he literally cuts the wire and the cable and like explains this will make them work hard and smithers has to be like uh do you think that maybe this is why the last family went crazy and killed their family and he's like uh-huh. you know what smithers <laughs> if we come back and they've killed their family i owe you a coke <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's time for the mid-roll ad read, which this week comes to us from the folks behind Malum, a bold and expanded reimagining of the 2014 horror cult classic Last Shift from the twisted mind of Anthony de Blasi. On a search to uncover the mysterious circumstances surrounding her father's death, a newly appointed police officer, Jessica Lauren, played by Jessica Sula, is assigned to the Last Shift in a decommissioned police station where a notorious vicious cult saw their demise years prior. The lone officer at the station soon finds herself barraged by terrifying paranormal events and, in the process, is taken on a journey during which she learns the shocking truth behind her family's entanglement with a demented cult leader. Malum takes the premise of the 2014 festival hit and flips it on its head, thrusting viewers into an unrelenting, adrenaline-fueled, bloody cult nightmare. Malum promises a bigger, bloodier experience with top-notch practical effects works, always love that, and SFX makeup from Russell FX. A knockout lead performance from star Jessica Sula, as well as a strong supporting cast, and a thundering score from composer Samuel Laflamme. 
Malum is tormenting theaters everywhere this Friday, March 31st. Get your tickets today and buckle up for a horrifying thrill ride and share your thoughts online using the hashtag, hashtag feed the demon. And <laughs> you can also follow Welcome Villain Films at Welcome Villain for all the updates. Ah, with all of that said, let's get back to the show. I think Mo is my favorite character here. Perfect uh, casting. Playing the bartender. And yeah. there's one gag that specifically stuck out to me as maybe my favorite in the episode. And it's like a blink and you'll miss it thing where it's a scene where Homer is like, like Jack Torrance, he's trapped in the uh, big walk-in fucking food pantry thing, you know, mm-hmm. with the door locked behind him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Mo appears on the other side and he's knocking and Homer wakes up and he's like, uh, uh, Homer, some of the ghouls and I were talking and <laughs> like and that killed me. So <laughs> good. <laughs> I love the deployment of the word ghouls. I know. Is, is so <laughs> delicious here. Like an under you, a criminally underused word. And it's fucking there's something so funny about the word ghoul that gets me every goddamn time I hear it. I also just laugh as soon as the family arrives. Like, there's something very iconic, obviously, about the Simpsons family showing up, waving very excitedly at this place that we know is going to be evil. Yeah. I'm just like, the Simpsons are here pretty much. And Burns just saying, ah, the new sea monkeys have arrived. And some of those are like, these are the new groundkeepers. Yes, they work hard and they play hard. Um, it's just so dense with stupid little jokes that just I, – I've seen these episodes um, probably hundreds of times, if if not in the thousands, but I still laugh every single time, um, which made it <clears throat> surprising, um, if not violence inducing to hear you say that you didn't laugh. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, well, I do uh, get that it kind of like rewatching something. It's almost a marvel of like, oh, wow, like this has been in the back of my brain for years, even though I haven't seen it. And yeah, like, and this is just and- living there. And the other thing is that The Simpsons was so important to me when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Totally. You know, it was like at the time, you know, they're banning Bart Simpson Uh T-shirts. It was a thing that some some parents wouldn't let their kids watch. It felt like, you know, um, to me, like a a child in the whose age was in the single digits at this time um, being allowed to watch it and finding it funny there was some level of uh subversion going yeah. on there it felt like i was doing something maybe a little naughty uh and i just i spent i spent years obsessively watching that show you know yeah. like and um you know when i was a kid i used to draw a lot uh it's a, a talent that i just basically abandoned after Aww. after college yeah i just don't have I got other shit I want to do and it's very time consuming and uh, blah, blah, blah. But uh, when I was <laughs> a kid, the podcast I was... and start drawing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, that'll make for a compelling audio. <laughs> going, me just saying fuck every once yeah. in a while and having to erase a line. <laughs> but uh, like when I was a kid, I remember drawing Simpsons comic books and I remember doing a thing called uh, Bart Mania. This is embarrassing yeah. to oh admit out loud. And I, I, I took like a bunch of pieces of paper and I stapled them together and then I drew a cover on it and it was like Bart Simpson and it said Bart Mania. And then inside each page had four Bart Simpsons on it who were dressed as different characters. So there was like a Batman Bart, a Superman oh. Bart. And I, I kept it at school. And what I would do was like um, ask the other kids like, hey, what character should you be? And then I draw it in there. 
Oh my and god! What I would not give to still have that fucking thing. But yeah, I want that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it was. It was fun. Um, sure, it's not fun. in some box in your parents' garage. Like fuck no. That is something that um, I, I know that w- there's still like a tiny bit of an age difference between us, but like we all grew up um, at least in a time where like you're entertaining your classmates and friends mm-hmm. with what you watched previously because right. like sure. you can't just go and immediately rewatch it together there aren't going to be clips on youtube from the snl that you just watched like Very i definitely true. spent so many recesses like just regurgitating um snl dana carvey stuff yeah. and like <laughs> i would just have like a little audience come and watch me do what i had seen on the night before and I, that would happen I, with simpsons too especially for kids that weren't allowed to watch it because right. they would want to know like what's so bad like what's the thing that i wasn't allowed to watch and i would My say God. Like, yeah i would just yeah, repeat incredible. the episode as much as i could remember you are unlocking memories for me because <laughs> I'm realizing like the, you're you're exactly right. We didn't have the internet back then. And there was this oral tradition yes. of kids who got to see shit and kids who did not. And I, I remember <laughs> very specifically after Terminator 2 came out, like my dad took me to see that. And then telling the neighborhood kids who weren't allowed to see it, like beat for fucking beat the entire movie of mm-hmm. terminator 2 like doing voices and shit for <laughs> yeah. it you know um, probably exaggerated a little bit and there's a transformer in there for some reason oh probably you know <laughs> i fuck I, I i my parents wouldn't let me watch uh slasher movies they weren't mm. they weren't really horror fans so i didn't get to see some of those but i had a friend named josh whose mom did not give a fuck what he watched and took him to every single new Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th movie. And he would always just tell me what happened in them, which probably is what led to my ultimate sort of rejection of the slasher (laughs) genre. Because you listen to enough of those stories and you're like, isn't that kind of what happened in the last one? Only, you know, Jesse uses different murder instruments. No, this is totally different. No, it's not. It's the same shit every time. (laughs) Even as a kid, I knew this trick. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> my my version of that, and I would do the same thing. It was with stand up bits. So for the hmm. kids, I really wanted to impress. Like I pulled out George Carlin, right? So I would, I would like do the whole uh, airplane bit. You know, how old know are you, you know at that. this time? I want to picture it. What are you wearing? 10? 10, yeah. 11, uh, right probably wearing uh, jean shorts or You're bicycle the- shorts. It's <laughs> that era. You're telling bicycle the abortion shorts. joke and you don't get it, neither do they. Yes. <laughs> I'm probably wearing a, uh, uh, a multicolor neon orange green uh, shirt. I probably have a rat tail. Hot. Oh my god! Hot. I'm just gonna come yeah. out. And so say so it. yeah, I know. Gird your loins. Um, but uh, <laughs> but like uh, so for the Carlin thing that that was the airplane bit where he essentially goes through the the whole like speech that the flight attendants give like uh, and then like tw- turns it on its head and it's like this five minute bit and at the time I f- I memorized it but then there were other uh, kids who like probably wouldn't appreciate the f word and so I pulled out. The very saintly Bill Cosby uh, himself. And, oh, my uh, God. oh my God, I used to quote that all the time. Yeah, is that one, the one where one he does the chocolate two... cake bit? Oh, the, the yeah, the dad is great. Yeah, <laughs> the chocolate cake. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, so he that, sure that turned out to be a rapist, didn't he? Oh yes. God, yes. Uh, you mentioned earlier that my uh, band name used to be Cosby Sweater. Um, <laughs> after, so here's what sucks. My first album. 
is it the obvious thing? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying I'm the biggest victim, but I was not not a victim. Um, Cosby Sweater. And then the second album uh, was a Rick and Morty concept album. (laughs) Now I'm making a Nine Inch Nails album. Am I accidentally going to (laughs) make... Am I accidentally going to cancel Trevor? (laughs) Yeah. Because I won't release it if it will prevent that from happening. (laughs) I'm still going to steal all the Kickstarter money, but I won't release it. (laughs) He's... I think people have taken a run at canceling Reznor a couple of times over this or that. But yeah, I saw Courtney Love tried to do something a while ago, and yeah, that got shut down real quick. She yeah. fucking <laughs> she saw, she's like, "Oops, sorry." <laughs> yeah, she, someone got a call from uh, a lawyer uh, within hours of that going up because the like the very next morning it was just like, "Oh, I I didn't never mean mind. to say that, and uh, <laughs> that never occurred." And I would just like to thank my lawyer mr rosenberg you know it was it was very clear that uh you know she got shut down on that yeah but, yeah you know he you know he did spend many years um well many a, a chunk of the 90s let's say like uh you know buddied up to marilyn manson who's done sure. some truly heinous shit oh yeah um but I, I don't think but that he's, an, he's anti Manson, though. He's like, yeah, he is like vocally yeah. said he doesn't like him. Right. Yeah. 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 Very, very That's vocally. Need. That's all you need. Um, There was sort of a stab at like them trying to reconnect around the time Starfuckers came out. Right. Um, but that imploded again, is my understanding. And, you know, I've just I, heard Manson's I do a, weird a fucking cover complete of Starfuckers, tool. by the way. Oh, nice. Very weird. Very weird cover. It's a good it's one. A weird, it's a weird original. <laughs> <laughs> it It is. That video is fucking weird, too. Anyway, I think that, you know, uh, people have taken a run at Reznor a couple of times, kind of like they every once in a while, someone will take a run at the South Park guys. And it's just like, eh, you're not going to get anywhere with this. Like, yeah, this person, this is not a person who's going to get on social media and give you a notes app apology and fucking, yeah, right. you know, go like, you know, prostrate, prostate themselves in front of prostrate, not prostate themselves. <laughs> well, the South Trent Park guys might milking himself. <laughs> yeah. But what's funny is that, like, in the 90s, people were trying to cancel Bart Simpson, like, yeah. right. <laughs> like actually a fictional child who by all like looking back on things that he said so innocent so sweet mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i know i know it was like, the time. How dare he? <laughs> yeah like I, he said boobs are like crap mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, I, re- I remember crazy there, wasn't there like uh like congressional hearings and stuff i have memories of uh, Bar- uh yeah the bush family like publicly outed them and said that <laughs> they wanted people to be more like the walt the walt waltons is that the, the show? waltons yeah 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 because yeah, i remember like some stuffy <laughs> stuffy republican like standing up and going this this child is spray painting and defacing public value you know, property <laughs> and stuff and it's just like even like kid me was like fucking there's jokes here. any of you beavis and buttheads right over there if you want <laughs> you know, if you want to attack something that's like even like more vulgar, it's like frog baseball, my guys. It's like, you know, and now the Simpsons is on uh, Disney Plus. Crazy, <laughs> yeah. insane. Like, it's it's weird what people get fucking bent out of shape about. Hmm. You know, all the pearl clutching over eat my shorts or whatever <laughs> it's fucking dumb that's such a good line from the nightmare cafeteria episode where skinner's just like and i think i'll start with what you've suggested by eating your shorts <laughs> problematic <laughs> <clears throat> um now uh stephen king has made a number of appearances on the simpsons 
over the years. I was surprised to learn that his first in-person appearance, you know, doing the, vo- you know, appearing as himself vocally was in like a season 12 episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have thought that would have happened like way sooner than that. But, you know, memory, time, all that well, shit. But like, why would an author do a voice on a show like that? It just says how popular Stephen King is that that even would be something that you would think would have happened at all, let alone sooner. Like, I can't think. I mean, aside from J.K. Rowling, like there really isn't anyone else that I would. Thomas Pinchon did the show. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, the guest guest stars that they've had on this show has been truly wild. Um, But yeah, I mean, everybody on the show, at least in the early seasons, they're such like literary nerds and tv nerds that you're right like it is kind of um wild that it took 12 years but it also makes some sense and there were so many little loving nods throughout um to to the shining and then just other things he's done yeah yeah um what do you what do you well you rewatch the shining for this what do you what's your what's your take on the shining my overall take on The Shining, I think it's yeah. good. <laughs> um, the Shining is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I'm very obsessed with this movie. I'm a very, very big Stanley Kubrick fan. Um, yes. I'm, um, I don't know if I should change my name to Kubrick Sweater anytime soon. Um, he's not exactly the least cancelable person, but I love him. And um, when I was in like a pretty scary car accident where I was like, pinned at the thighs between two cars um, and thought that I had lost my legs. Um, My car was totaled and I was so scared and like I wasn't able to like walk without assistance or crutches for a while. One of the things that I made sure of first was that my trunk was okay because in it I had just gotten the Criterion box set of the Stanley Kubrick movies. (laughs) (laughs) And they were okay. It was a miracle. I just just imagine you, there's like glass on the ground, smoke. You're pulling yourself along the ground with your arms. Check the trunk. Tell me Batman's in DVD wasn't scratched. She must have the jaws of life in there. There's no other reason. Um, I'm no, I, I love this movie so much and it's to me the most, one of the most rewatchable movies ever made. Um, I always feel very rewarded every time that I rewatch it. I also just every couple of years will go down like a huge, um, like video analysis rabbit hole. Um, Mm -hmm. I forget who did the very popular, um, video essay and essay essay about the bear, um, being a symbolism for pedophilia and how basically Jack is a big old pedophile. Um, Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> don't talk about Pee Wee that way. Um, <laughs> I do have like so much Pee Wee paraphernalia; it's insane. But um, wait, the yes. fucking bear. What the bear yeah, is? So a- basically, <clears throat> yeah. Basically, um, there's this guy. I think his name is like Robert Anger or something. Let me look it up. But he um, <clears throat> he has this piece explaining using. Um, Apparently in the book, it was a dog costume um, and in the movie, it's a bear costume. And there are a lot of references to bears in relation to Danny and to Jack and to the kind of, you know, how the elevator that bleeds, you know, well, it bleeds has the it kind of looks like a face because it has the eyes um, on top of it. It kind of mimics the look of the bear. And basically it's connecting all of these things to pedophilia. And it's really wild and on its face like you guys now it sounds like it's something that you just so instantly want to be like fuck off Mm -hmm. (laughs) like shut up but 
I love watching conspiracy theories so much as uh, and in fact, I kind of like them more the more insane that they are. Like I love the Paul is dead theory. Um, I've seen Paul McCartney every time that he tours that I can. Yeah. I I very much believe he's alive. If he's not, the guy who replaced him is one of my favorite musicians. <laughs> yeah. I would be so, dead, so sad when he dies. Um, <laughs> but um, I love the Paul is dead theory. I love people looking at like the different sizes of people's earlobes. I love the Avril Lavigne killed herself theory. Um, I love I love the idea that Stanley Kubrick like put us on the moon. Like I love it all. Mm-hmm. I think it's amazing. Um, I highly recommend watching um, this idea that Jack it's listen, it's unpleasant. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but it is a really interesting thing because like there's so much quote unquote evidence and Kubrick is the easiest person to do this with because we all know that he's a perfectionist. And so people will just really double down on like, that means every single thing he did was by design. Right. Um, and that right. just can't, that just can't always be true. Right. <laughs> like even, well, you saw even Room someone, 237, yeah. right? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, look, I like Room 237. But every time I watch it's it, ridiculous. I get annoyed with the people. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, oh, fucking come on, man. Yeah. Like the, the can of cornmeal that has, like symbolizes the, the you know, the, the genocide of Native America. Like, no, man. <laughs> it's just... It's a fucking pantry. That's what they would have in there. (laughs) But I do love that stuff. And like during the pandemic, especially, I was going down a huge um, The Shining rabbit hole in terms of just watching all of the little videos on it that I could. I I shouldn't say little. They're not patronizing. I'm not trying to patronize them. I I think they're really cool. And I love how much people geek out about this stuff. But my problem is like, you know, everybody's isolated. No one's talking during the pandemic. You can't see your friends. I suddenly become someone who's like commenting on these videos. <laughs> like I'm someone who's like starting to oh, get no. into fights with people about like <laughs> like Stanley Kubrick's intention on things. I've since deleted all the comments because I was mortified that they existed. But I was just <laughs> like, why am I fu- – I'm acting like a Redditor right now. Like what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Um But it, it is just to say I love this movie very, very, very much. And um, I just really – get something new out of it every single time and um this most recent viewing was interesting because um i was in a relationship with someone who is um an alcoholic and it changes uh, the way that you jack a little bit and i also really love wendy's character a lot um and i used to not and i know that stephen king didn't like wendy very much um but i love wendy and i think that she's not as weak as people make her out to be I mean, that's one thing that I think is really interesting having done the show now for coming up on three years is like there, Shelley Duvall's performance in The Shining has kind of in recent times really kind of gotten its due. Like the movie was kind of revolted against back when it came out and then her performance specifically was called out by fans, by moviegoers, critics, everything. Um, And it's really insane to me just how it's only been recently where uh, Shelly Duvall has been getting her due. And and I've noticed that happening. Maybe it's just because it's happening like on fast forward now, uh, you know, since we've been doing the show. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just become like now just broadly defined of like, oh, no, she's doing pretty incredible work. And if you find aspects of, of her annoying, you know, in the, the movie, it is by design. You know, it's it, it's supposed to be that way, and she, you know, my my only hope is that uh, Kate Capshaw gets the same treatment as someday <laughs> for her her Willie Scott performance. So. I yeah, I don't understand, and I'm actually curious, like 
why there wouldn't, aside from people that read the book who are like right. expecting like a, I don't know, her to be blonde and stronger, I guess, in some right. traditional aspects of the word. It's like, I thought her, I've always liked her performance and I don't understand what about it would be upsetting. Um, so what was it that people didn't connect to or didn't like, or was, you know, something that was mock, like something that could be mocked or something. Cause like, you know, Marge in this episode is, is doing a pretty similar performance and, right. and it just seems like Marge. It just seems like how a woman in that position could theoretically act. It's a good question because it's like Jack Nicholson is going just as big and broad as she is, but nobody ever looks at him and goes, well, he's fucked up that performance, but she'll, you know, she's kind of matching the energy of what the, the, the movie is demanding of its lead characters. Right. It, even Danny Torrance at some point is getting really broad and, you know, screaming red rum and, and all this stuff. So I, I don't know, maybe it's just straight up misogyny where you can accept that crazy swing of a performance from Jack Nicholson. But when Shelley Duvall does it, it's quote unquote grading and, and uh, you know, I don't know, annoying. Yeah, I, well, I have to imagine that it's some of that, just because I, the same thing happens in even more recent history of um, like Breaking Bad. Like people mm, would watch oh, Breaking right, Bad right, and right. hate Skylar, but Skylar, like I watched the show um, right before the very final season and, and I liked her out the gate, you know, because it's like, um, yeah, she's annoyed that her husband is the fucking drug dealer. I would be <laughs> too. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I. I love Shelley Duvall and maybe it's just I'm biased towards her because I like her her big eyes <laughs> and like I, I feel safe around her and I just adore her. Um, but I, I just love that character so much. Yeah, I don't think I, I well, let me come to it from this angle. I think that some of the reaction to, to Duvall's performance has more to do with how the characterization of Wendy from The Shining, the novel versus the movie. Mm -hmm. You know, she's very strong and, you know, bullheaded and, you know, uh, take charge. She she fucking she handles herself in the mm. in the novel, you know. Yeah. Um, but in the movie, uh, she is a little bit more of a kind of a doormat sort of character. Mm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with her. I think it's a great performance. Mm. I think it's I, I think that there's a chance that some of those reactions were. Fans of the book who wanted a, a stronger Wendy, like right. kind of like the uh, Rebecca De Mornay's right. uh, performance in the well, miniseries. So my question with the comparison to the book is um, in the movie, it's very clear, at least that's my opinion, that the <laughs> Jack is abusive. Um, maybe not in the way mm -hmm. that that one video analysis thinks that he is, but um, he's been abusive. He's an alcoholic. He's someone who has like rage you know, fits. We know that he physically harms Danny at some point. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> I think even in the episode that you guys talk about this with Tom, it's like pretty clear out the gate, like, yeah, I'm going to kill you guys. Um, <laughs> yep. And so to me, it makes total sense that Wendy already has this kind of like downplaying. Um, she's just kind of a little bit trapped, um, doesn't want to maybe face the facts, but this is how just like some people in those situations can be. But in the book, is it <clears throat> is it more like the hotel and being there makes Jack that way. And so we have this strong woman who then is watching her husband become this way, or had mm -hmm. he also already had those seats there from the beginning? I, my opinion is that the, the hotel amplifies whatever your true nature is. Just in general, not just for Jack, yeah, but for everyone. Like, I love that. You yeah. know, it's it, almost like along the lines of cocaine, 
You know, if you're <laughs> like in, in, in Jack's case, we, we not only know from the novel that he broke Danny's arm accidentally, but he also beat the ever living shit out of one of his students. Yeah, that's oh, a whole thing in the book. I got to read this. So, book. so the point is that this is kind of why I'm bristling at the pedophile thing, because yeah. Jack Nicholson or excuse me, Jack Torrance is a lot of things, but he's not a pedophile. Like that's there's not a, a bit of that in the book. And I further bristle at it. I, I'll tell you, because I feel like the new thing to do now is like uh, if you disagree with somebody or, you know, maybe uh, if you you find out someone's gay. Oh, they must yeah. be a rumor. They must be a pedophile. Oh, like yeah. the, the fucking word is losing it. The, uh, the word we have for one of the worst things on the planet <laughs> right. is being worn out. It is losing its fucking, you know, power. And that's that's a fucked up thing. So, you know, there's that there's a lot going into me, like not liking this Jack Torrance as a pedophile thing. But oh, we yeah, it's it definitely a, don't go in those comments. <laughs> You'll get sucked in like I did. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I would just not watch it to begin with. I, I but I think that Jack is quite clearly an abusive drunk. Yeah. And that going to the hotel, not only like you know, uh, detoxing, uh, from, from not drinking while he's up there. That's, that's, that's certainly helping matters along, but the, the hotel itself is amplifying this part of him and, and feeding that addiction even. So it, and to, to further bring it out of him, that would be my take. What, what about you, Vespi? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. And he's, that's the thing is that I've never really bought that, that argument. I know that, that it's just more nuanced in the book, but that's any book like you're seeing inside Jack's head. So you, you hear his inner dialogue as he's, you know, wrestling with all these emotions and also trying to be a good husband and father. Mm -hmm. Like he wants to, he desperately wants to be that, but he is not that. Um, now Nicholson, he, he does portray crazy from the get go, but you know, I, I, maybe I take it at face value when he has that like scene where he, you know, Danny goes in to get his, his um, uh, truck and he, you know, brings Dan, he finds his dad in the bed and, you know, he does look creepy, but I do take it at face value when he's like, I love you and I love your mother and I love it here. And I think this is the best for us. You know, I think that that's a glimpse, you know, of the Jack Torrance from the book. Um, but I think both characters are, you know, not as far apart as the uh, uh, talk around it, um, implies and maybe that's the reason why King really just doesn't like it is he can be dismissive and just say it's casting but I also think that he put a lot of himself into Jack T Torrance and mm. having he doesn't want to see himself as crazy from the beginning and so yeah. he wants to see that there's a lot more nuance there but the same thing that can be said about Jack though is can be said about Wendy I think in the book she's a little bit more um, like this is really you're you're on your second and last chance Right. So she's a little bit more stronger in that aspect where she's kind of on the lookout for him to fuck up and like, like, I'm, I'm serious. I want this to work, but I will leave. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, so she's a little stronger in that aspect. But I mean, look at the Wendy in the movie. She still fucking knocks him out and drags him into the fucking pantry. You know, yeah. she's the one doing all the work at the hotel while he's writing. She's the one maintaining the boiler. She's doing everything. She's cooking. She's doing everything. Um, and the only bone I have to pick with the Wendy Torrance and as portrayed by, uh, Shelley Duvall is that moment right at the very end where, uh, when she's outside and Danny comes out of the hedge maids, hedge maze and 
what does she do? She throws the knife down and runs and grabs him. <laughs> and that fucking thing, I don't know what it was, what was in the water and the, the horror waters in the seventies and early eighties, but every fucking movie you watch, Lead. Hall- Halloween fucking Laurie Strode stabs Michael Myers in the closet. And what she do, she drops the knife right at his fucking body. And walks I, away. I you know, love like, that. That though. happens all the fucking time. I love so. that because it's to me, like that's the only version of myself I'm seeing in, in, a, in a horror movie. <laughs> like, of course I would do that. Like, cause you're not yeah. thinking you're so scared and like, it makes yeah. it so real. Um, and yeah, I, I also get like, as an audience member, like, don't do that. Like you want to yeah. be, you're rooting for the person to survive. So it's in yeah. But of course I would do that. I would do so many stupid things so many times. Um, But yeah, I do think it's like, I think that if I had read the book and had expected this one version of Wendy, I would also be like, that's sexist. How could they do that? I'm so upset. But because I didn't have that, um, my only comparison was Marge. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm like, at least uh, Wendy might have a job. I don't know. Like, um, (laughs) um, (laughs) like I I like seeing that there's – there's like strength in women can can appear in so many different ways. Right. And the ways that you already pointed out, I, I think, are very present. Um, and even just being able to tolerate like such a annoying person. Like it's <laughs> funny, like it this movie's so much more triggering when you've dated writers. You're like, <laughs> like, cause like Shelly is just like, hey, why don't you take me on a walk later? And he's like, I think I should write. I'm like, oh, your writing's never going to go anywhere anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you're saying this because I I think another thing that's really interesting about um, the shinning is that the central joke of the whole thing is Homer's raging alcoholism. (laughs) You know, and when you when you mentioned earlier that the the Trios of Horror episodes get a little. get get kind of dark i mean yeah they really do this this does strike me as very dark you know like he's we are we are seeing homer's (laughs) uh again just blistering alcoholism uh brought to the forefront and not only that but it is being dangled in front of him to murder his family (laughs) you know it's uh it's it's an interesting thing and i don't think that when i watch this originally I had any idea what an alcoholic was oh you know, yeah functional nor otherwise you know I just like <clears throat> yeah. my grand my grandfather was you know a, a raging alcoholic but whenever we went to visit him when I was a kid I always just thought he was very sleepy and <laughs> non-communicative like yeah. just a, he's yeah. a stoic man's man type no he was fucking drunk yeah, was on loaded. like rum or something every time i encountered him that's why he was like that but yeah alcoholism and anger and violence are played for laughs in the simpsons and that's one of the reasons that um in my opinion um early days the simpsons is uh, works so well um because the animation style is um so clearly a cartoon and um yes. <clears throat> there's just like Something weird about seeing like 3D shading um, when Homer is choking Bart. <laughs> like, I don't need it to be more realistic. <laughs> right. It becomes slightly less charming. Um, and they've stopped <laughs> doing that for those reasons, I think. Um, but yeah, one of the things that I think is so good in this episode is like we watch Homer lose everything that matters to him. And he goes, he's he's keeping it together. And if you know people like this in real life, it makes it scary and funny. But he goes, hmm, cable's out. 
goes to check to get a beer in the fridge. Hmm, not a drop in the house. What do you know? And Marge is like, wow, I'm really impressed by how you're handling this. And he immediately slaps, I'll kill you. I'll kill all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Which I love because like that is such a good synthesis of The Shining. Like just like in in one line, we got him switching to the guy that's going to go to Mo and then be convinced to kill his family. And what I love about the Mo line too is like, Again, like in seven minutes of real estate to get the whole movie across, like you have to find ways to kind of cut corners and get to the meat of the story. And they, it, it's so funny how quickly it happens because mm-hmm. he's just basically like, Mo, can I have a beer? He's like, not until you kill, kill your family. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just perfect. Um, and I love that they were able to take such an iconic character of Jack Torrance and make Homer fit in it right now. Like you mentioned earlier, like when Homer's stuck in that, um, pantry thing he there's like a knock on the door i think it's mo and and that's when the some of the ghouls and i were talking and he just goes can't murder now eating like it's just so homer (laughs) yet so perfect for that um parody it's so so good and then marge really quickly just also says like after she like knocks him out and puts him in there she sees a can of food and she's just like hmm chili would be good tonight like she's still being marge it's perfect hey there everybody vespi here real quick Apologies for the interruption, but we lost a little bit of our audio, actually, from this interview. It's not a big chunk, but it's big enough to be noticeable, and I didn't want to cut out the whole section uh, just because my dumb voice was missing for about 30 seconds. What you've missed is me bringing up the fact that the Here's Johnny reference in The Shining, today's kids don't know what the hell that is, where that came from, and then we continue on from there. Thank you. And we return back to our regularly scheduled podcast episode. People know that. People know that. I don't know. I bet you, I bet you, I work with people at Fangoria who who are young enough that I bet if I went and said, where is who's Johnny from? They would say the shining. And I would say, okay, but what was it from before that? And they wouldn't know. Really? For sure. For wow. Sure. I feel I feel very very lucky because obviously I was uh, you know I it's I only know it because my parents would explain it to me. But my parents would explain every single pop culture reference that ever came across our screen. And I feel like I'm lucky in that way and I forget that I that it's like a gift. This is a tangent. But on this you, show? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I feel bad for anyone who grew up where in a situation where Letterman was not part of the late night landscape, you know, mm-hmm. like when I was a kid, I got hooked on Saturday Night Live very easily. I guess that's technically my introduction to to late night. Like they had a 25th anniversary special. My folks taped it. We watched it or I watched it like over and over and over again. Then I started watching that show or recording it on Saturday nights. And then I moved on to Letterman and I moved on to Letterman like around the time. God, I don't even know if anyone's going to know what I'm talking about here. But like <laughs> Muji Bar and Sarah Jewel were like a fixture on the show. Like the the two like Middle Eastern guys that ran like a New York souvenir store right mm. next to the Ed Sullivan Theater. Right. He would send a camera crew over there all the time. It's funny as shit. Anyway, um, Letterman begat Conan. Yes. And Conan no longer exists. And mm. there's no... Um, well, I mean, he exists. Is Conan yeah, alive? That's That's Conan, Conan, Conan O'Brien is alive. But <laughs> what do you know about Conan like, that we don't know? <laughs> he's dead. But he, uh, he got but, raptured. You know, there is, no, there is no Letterman slash Conan-like presence of absurdism in the late night landscape. People today are growing up with 
James Corden, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon is the most. <laughs> I can't fucking l- listen. I'm Drag sure him. he's a very nice guy, <laughs> but it, it's almost like anti-comedy what he does. <laughs> this this like sycophantic, supplicating sort of just like you know giggling at everything that 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 clip that uh makes the rounds every once in a while of him having paris hilton on and talking about what fucking board eight nfts they bought is like the <laughs> nadir of fallon it is uh, let me put it this way he's the perfect person to take over the tonight show after jay leno mm. you know like conan <laughs> conan was i could I, we could do a solid hour of me just ranting about how NBC fuck Conan. I, I mean, also Conan, Conan's monorail, you know? Yes. He's, he's also wrote the monorail. Episode. He he wrote so few episodes and was there such a short time. And yet he is like such an institution to the Simpsons and people like freak out over his involvement in the show. And there was actually a really fun um, night at the Hollywood Bowl called Simpsons Take the Bowl where they would perform uh, music from the Simpsons. And he came out and sang the monorail song. And it was one of the most joyous no of my life. Yes, it was incredible. Oh my God. It was fantastic. And that is actually another example of something that is so short. Like the length of the monorail song is so short. But it feels like it could – like it, it just feels so impactful that you're like, how is this only a 30-second song? How is this shitting right. only seven minutes? Like it feels like it takes up so much space in my brain. Have you heard the story about – when Conan was at Harvard, the thing about Burt Ward's Robin costume. Do y'all know that story? <laughs> I, I have heard this. You should tell it because it's a very good I, story. I don't. So, yeah, Okay. So Burt Ward was coming to Harvard to give some sort of talk. And Allie, uh, let me know if I get any of the details wrong here because it's been a while. You since better not. You better not mess this up. <laughs> oh, it's fucking high pressure. Dude. But um, this is my memory of the story that Burt Ward was who played Robin on the original like 1960s Batman series mm-hmm. came to Harvard while Conan was there. And I think working for the Lampoon to do to give a talk or just be Burt Ward in front of an audience, you know. And so he had brought with him. Uh, I think it was like a, you know, like a like a mannequin torso plus the underpants region. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> dressed in his his Robin costume, you know, with him as like sort of a thing, I presumably a thing to point at and say, hey, remember that? <laughs> um, so he gets up on stage and he starts giving the talk and all the lights suddenly go out in the auditorium. And when they come back on, the costume is gone. <laughs> and what had happened was that Conan and company had stolen the costume <laughs> and were now purporting to be like Batman villains who were taking it hostage and like, you'll never get your costume back, boy, wonder like that kind of thing and like held it hostage for a couple of days before they eventually gave it back. And uh, Burt Ward, very upset about this. That, that's the kind of dude that dude is, you know, Incredible. That's, that's my kind of dude, you know. Uh, Incredible. I would love to see Conan as a Batman villain. Oh, fuck yeah. Mm. How do we make this happen? Who would who would have to be who what would your ideal casting for Batman be in a movie where we have a Conan, Conan villain? Right. <laughs> I think I think Obviously, the better Andy question Andy is Fallon, what, weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of villain is Conan playing? 
I think it's got to be Irish themed. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like like I think tonally we're we're talking like Tim Burton Batman. Like mm-hmm. you already kind of have that like campy cartoony. I don't know how well he does in like a Dark Knight. <laughs> like right. it's kind of hard. To no, pick probably her. not no, very intimidating. <laughs> but yeah, maybe he'd have, to, he'd have to be Schumacher or Burton. Maybe yeah. <laughs> yeah. His name Gosh, would be but... his name would be Ginger Snaps. Oh, and, that is and he very would, good. And he would be like, you know, his whole thing. He throws potatoes, you know, other things. He throws snaps at you, but yeah. Or, right. or that, you know. Uh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you I like it. it. Yeah, mm, I like it. That. Let's start working on this spec. Yeah. Mm. John Hamm is Batman. Frankly. <laughs> John Hamm is Batman with Conan yeah. O'Brien. Come on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have to start funding this. This is good. <laughs> I'm into it. We'll kickstart that next. Yes. <laughs> and Jacob uh, Tremblay is Robin. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think we have we have about said everything we needed to say about <laughs> the shinning, the shining. Not yet. Not yet. One of the no? best, one of the very best lines of The Simpsons yeah. ever is yes. um <laughs> is in this episode. And it's when Marge is calling uh <laughs> and says, um, <laughs> my husband's on a murderous rampage. Over. He says, over. Well, thank God that's over. So <laughs> good. So good. So good. <laughs> it's just such a classic joke. Like, there are so right. many jokes that I can't believe the Simpsons invented. You know what I mean? Like, one of the, it's right. not from it's not from this, but like a classic just joke to me is a guy saying to another guy in a bar uh let's fight and he goes them's fighting words <laughs> it's just like i can't believe that that didn't exist since the 20s <laughs> like <laughs> um and then also i just want to like the the ending of this episode is is very good or the segment is very good um because there is kind of a through line between the movie and the shinning of um, the impact of television, because right. there's that moment in the movie um, where I forget what it is that they're talking about, but Jack says to Wendy, like, see, he, he heard it on the television. Like he, he it's right. okay. He saw it on the television. Like I can't yep. quite tell how much he's condemning or how much he's patronizing or how much he's like, it's fine. Um, but then in the shinning, we have like television is literally what saves the family from being murdered. Murdered, um, because like they finally find a source <laughs> for true. Homer to watch TV. Mm-hmm. Um, we get that great moment of um, television teacher, mother, secret lover, and <laughs> we, we get them um, all gathered together, urged to kill, fading, fading, mm-hmm. rising, rising, fading, yeah. gone, gone. And then we get the frozen family, um, yeah. and then we get the Tony Awards, <laughs> which Homer ends up becoming violent and would actually kill his family if he could which i think is just a very great button um it's so dark um i love how much the simpsons will make fun of other programs or other Mm -hmm. aspects of tv but it's Mm -hmm. just such a good out um and 10 out of 10 i think it's i i think that whole treehouse of horror is probably the very it's my number one treehouse of horror but that Mm -hmm. segment is top 10 easily maybe even top five agreed totally agreed so go back to the nine inch nails thing very briefly. Uh, this Why is usually briefly. The, well, this is usually <laughs> the point in our show where we allow our guests to <laughs> pitch whatever they're working on next, whatever they're working on right now. Where 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 would you like to draw attention to? Yeah, uh, yeah. Right now I, in this moment. 
yes, I definitely want to draw attention to this Nine Inch Nails album that we've been talking about. Um, I really am so excited about it. My hope is that people that um, love Nine Inch Nails um, and even don't know Nine Inch Nails, um, but not people that hate Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> but everyone else, I feel like we'll find something enjoyable <laughs> about the album. Um, I, I, I feel like there's um, – I, I just feel like if nothing else, you might be interested to hear a new take on something very familiar. Um, and I, I really have been working on this for almost a year now. And it is something that I'm just really, really, really excited about and passionate about. So you can find um, a lot of information about that on my Kickstarter. Um, there's uh, That's going to be ending in the middle of April. Um, at which point I'll post all the updates there as well. So even if you're listening to this later, you'll be able to figure out where to buy the vinyl and the CD and the, you know, all the stuff. Um, I'm making a very stupid shirt for Kickstarters only. Um, it's, it's, you get me closer to Gertz, um, <laughs> which <laughs> I apologize for. I know it's stupid, <laughs> um, but I hope you'll check it out. And you can find me at Allie Gertz on everything. Very well. Very exciting. I would encourage anyone who was a fan of Nine Inch Nails, go, go check out the Kickstarter page for, for, uh, Allie's album. It, the, the snippets that are there are very encouraging. I've heard a bunch of other Yay. ones and, um, can confirm as, as a diehard Nine Inch Nails fan, that this is a good album. It, Yay, it that is, makes me so happy. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, well, it's exciting stuff and it brought you into our, into our sphere. So if nothing yes. else, we can thank you <laughs> for that. Um, thank you so much for being here today. This was a delight. Of course. And, uh, you know, I'd wish you good luck with the Kickstarter, but you already cleared it. Speaking <laughs> of which, well, are you doing like you. stretch goals? And like, if you do stretch goals, how does that work if you've already bought in on one? Yeah, level? yeah. I'm I'm trying to think of what a motivating stretch goal would be. Um, one thing that I'm thinking about doing is making all of my stems available, um, which is mm -hmm. something I know that Trent has done in the past. But uh, there, are, there are a few covers that I said that I absolutely would not do that I might be open to doing if we reach a certain amount. Um, they wouldn't make the album, but I would be posting them for people that are kickstarting. Um, for example, we've talked about like Hurt already belongs to Johnny Cash and Trent mm -hmm. Reznor. Like right. you don't need me doing it, but for the right amount of money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I we also are adding more instruments and we're able to do a lot more the more money that we get. Um, and yes, you could always update your pledge to be higher, but please don't make it lower. <laughs> if you... If we hit 50,000 folks, Allie yes. will put a broken uh, ukulele in a box and shake it around. <laughs> what that I'll is say is um, if I hit 50,000, I will I will, uh, I will, will cover La <laughs> Mer, which is like literally impossible for me because like I don't know how to play those instruments. I'll just literally do all of Downward Spiral and all of Wish if I hit – sorry, all of Broken um, like in its entirety. I'll just do all of – I can't do the instrumental tracks, but I'll just, I'll just cover every single song. Of Nine Inch Nails if we hit 50,000. Hey, what do you think of The Fragile, real quick? What do I think of it? I think it's fantastic. I think it's unbelievable. Downward Spiral is number one, and um, and number two is Fragile for me. Um, right. I And then Pretty Hate Machine is... Well, I actually love With Teeth a lot. Um, but with Fragile... I, fucking I, good. I, I think it's so good. I also, you know, I grew up loving Dave Grohl as a drummer, so that was really exciting too. Um, I learned how to drum, like drumming along to like Nirvana and and Foo Fighters and stuff. Um, With teeth uh, has only on it. You you yes. You thought about only. 
I have a cover of Only. Um, nice. Only is another example of like Trent being kind of funny because uh, yes. <laughs> uh, there's this one little line that I love so much. He just goes, yes, it did. <laughs> like he just, <laughs> yeah. he just has this cute little, I don't know how to describe it. I love Only. And what I like about Only is the lyrics are calling back to some earlier song too because like uh, down in it down in it yeah tiniest yeah. little dot caught my eye and turned out to be a scab like that it's a I was like, inch, oh my god it's, it's the lore <laughs> yeah it's yeah. technically a sequel to that song i love it um yeah so fragile um it's funny downward spiral i was so pretty hate machine and downward spiral i was listening to like in the middle of a very bad breakup and just a very hard time for me in general mm-hmm. and so I was kind of scared to start the next chapter of my life, which I kind of marcated with the fragile. So I was kind of like, I'm not quite mm-hmm. ready to move on to this next chapter yet. So I I held off listening. It really is funny. When you live in LA, there aren't seasons. So you don't have any way to be like, how how has time passed? Like, you can't be like, oh, it was fall. You have to be like, oh, this it was Oscar season. Like, you just have to remember your life <laughs> in like really bizarre ways. And so the way that I remembered like what month things happened in in the summer i was like okay that's when i started the fragile that means it was august um <laughs> and um that's when i saw andy dick at the ralphs that was yeah, that exactly. era yeah um but no i i was scared at first cuz it also um i was afraid it was going to get too sad um and i wasn't ready for sad i i just wanted angry um so i was scared and well, then i and then guess what it was both um <laughs> downward spiral is a perfect breakup album it's all about yes, it is. you know you know the entire nine inch nails oeuvre is about you know control like that's that's the number one theme in every single nine inch nails track i think totally and it's because Reznor is a control freak and just like you know Kubrick. Yes, you know this is this is the price we pay for genius. I will allow it. <laughs> um, but but the 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 downward spiral is a great great breakup album. The it fragile really is. is an album that's entirely about rebirth and you know yeah. Um, and I just wasn't ready for that. I yeah, was just I, like, I, I, totally I, get I can't it. take it. And it's funny because I didn't even know what it was going to be, and I just kind of in my bones knew like for some reason I'm not ready for this. And then once I finally got into it, it was all I could listen to. And um, it you know Nine Inch Nails albums are similar to. Um, Kubrick movies, but The Shining, especially for me, in that every single time that I listen to it, I'm getting something new. And I've mm-hmm. had to listen to these songs so many times so that I could figure out how I wanted to cover them. And even having listened to some of these songs hundreds of times, I'm still, and granted, I didn't start listening until this year, but still, um, I'm like the number one fan on Spotify because of how often I'm listening to it. <laughs> um, but like, I still am hearing little motifs or little, like, depending on what. Um, audio interface I have too. Like I'm able to hear like different things when I'm in the car versus my headphones versus like speakers. Like it's so fun. I need to get more on vinyl actually because I feel like there's stuff that I haven't even gotten to hear on vinyl yet. But anyway, um, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> the way the way I I kind of made peace with the fragile is I think the fragile is their best album. Right. But, actually, yes, but I think. Downward Spiral is my favorite. Yes. Okay. So I will say um, I'll give my friend Andrew credit because he said the same thing where he said um, he's the person who introduced me to the band to begin with. He he said that The Fragile is his masterpiece, but that Downward Spiral is also the favorite. And the same is true, by the way, in my opinion. Um, 
Pinkerton is better than Blue Album, but yes, yes, perfect comparison. <laughs> and then, perfect yes. fucking comparison. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things. And also, you know, I'll go this this continues. Um Pinkerton and Downward Spiral is also the Rushmore comparison to like Royal Tenenbaums would be the the Blue Album and um The Fragile in terms of like those are all more polished and perfection and like right, right. these are all like exactly like the utmost of what they ever did in some ways but that raw darker messier thing is the one that's just a little bit more exciting hmm. i have seen enough you know your nine inch nails shit i am <laughs> i am very impressed that is all absolutely dead on again thank you so much for being here giving me an opportunity to run my mouth about nine inch nails for so much on a single episode of the show <laughs> usually i we have should to do get a my bonus little... episode of um of just nine inch nails Maybe that could be a reward that I offer people. <laughs> you could, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll help you with that. Um, you what? <laughs> there's there's also like, I don't know how you would build an episode around it, but I was thinking earlier today, like the final book in the Dark Tower series ends with a or begins with a Trent Reznor quote. What you know? Yeah, it's a it's a quote from Hurt. The you can have it all, my empire of dirt. That whole oh my it's god, right there, page one. Wow. And I remember because when that book came out, I went to like Barnes and Noble or wherever to get it and flipped it open to that page and saw that. And it was just like two of my worlds colliding, <laughs> like in fucking like, what the fuck is that? The melancholia, you know, yeah. it was just like, oh, my God, Nine Inch Nails and Stephen King on the final Dark Tower book. <laughs> like I could not have asked for a, a better gift. Than that. Oh, so. one thing I feel like we would be remiss to not mention mm. um, on this particular episode is that Nine Inch Nails is featured on the episode of The Simpsons uh, with Homer Palooza, um, yes. where <laughs> yeah, Homer's talking about like no name bands like Sonic Youth and Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> <laughs> somewhere, somewhere, uh, I have someone sent me a. Uh, they made it an enamel pin of that poster. Oh, I want that. Yeah, and I've got it somewhere. It's in a fucking storage unit right now. But uh, no idea where that is. But uh, I do have that somewhere. Yeah. I'm, Fantastic. Yeah. If there's a Nine Inch Nails reference somewhere, I'm a, I'm uh, probably aware of it. <laughs> that's, my, <laughs> that's my little side job. Yes. Anyway, yes. Let's wrap this up before this fucking monstrosity we used <laughs> to record crashes again. Thank you, Ali, for being here. And, uh, you know. Congratulations on the success of the uh, album before it's even come out. Oh, thanks. Many thanks to Allie Gertz for joining us. We finally covered The Shinning, which has been an oft-requested title since we launched mm -hmm. the show. And Scott got to uh, indulge in his Nine Inch Nails fanboy. Oh, it was delightful. You this can hear great. it in your voice. Very therapeutic for me to finally have this, to, to just... Um, well, not abuse the platform, but to, to use it to uh, the advantage of... Uh, something that i'm a very big fan of that was it was a really good time and and we thank Allie for coming on here i would encourage all of you to go check out uh the kickstarter for for that album she's releasing it is seriously good shit what i've heard so hell yeah and yeah. we got to debut a little piece of it and mm -hmm. if you're not wanting in after that i don't know what else we can do i, I just want to make a note here this is the last episode that's well, this is the last wraparound, I guess I should say, because we have a bunch of episodes banked. I was going to say this is the the last episode I did in Austin, but that's not tec technically true. It's just the last episode we're releasing while I'm in Austin. <laughs> yes. 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 No, you're you're about to take your 
Hills Have Eyes road trip up to oh. uh, your new home place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going to run into some cannibal hillbillies. God, I hope the fucking drive just goes smoothly. I've never <laughs> been in a car that long by myself, period. I think the longest I've ever been in a car by myself is about six hours. So I'm just spreading it out over most of a week. And, you know, it's just going to be me and my dog. And uh, hopefully I don't get killed in the desert. I don't think I'm going through any deserts. I am going through the mountains, though. So if mm. there's any mountainous right. hillbilly cannibals, that could be a concern. But uh, that's kind of where they live. I think they all but they live in the Appalachians. You'll be fine. Uh, that's true. You're not that's going true. through any desperate des- desperado. I almost said you're not going through any desperation territory, but you are going through right. some some shining territory. So I don't know. Just be careful. Yeah, very much going straight through Colorado. Yeah. So uh, that's weird. It's just a weird thing to uh, to denote. And yeah. I figured I, I, I'd do it while I had the chance. You'd mark the occasion. Now it's down yeah. in the record books. Down on the uh, something else that will be down in the record books is this fucking crazy thing we kind of uncovered that we are debuting oh, yes. this weekend. Yeah, I'll let uh, I'll let you 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 do the honors on this. So uh, Scott announced it via our, our Twitter feed, but we've actually stumbled across a Stephen King adaptation that has never once been talked about on we did we did the research and nobody on any Stephen King podcast has ever talked about this thing and matter of fact the horror community at large seems to have ignored this particular movie I don't know mm-hmm. why I haven't been able to dig that up but we did find a Stephen King movie that has never been talked about and we brought in a guest to help us talk about this movie go through this movie for all we know mm-hmm. we're the only three people that have seen this movie um, <laughs> since we're kind of sitting on gold here, we didn't want to wait to make this their next week's episode. So we have decided to cut it as fast as I can. Scott's about to leave town. I'm about mm-hmm. to head over to the Overlook Film Festival in New Orleans. It's like we needed to get it out ASAP. So we are hard at work at that. We've just recorded it. That is going up this weekend, uh, this Saturday, I believe. We're we're going to throw up that special episode. Uh, it's going to be crazy. We've already talked to our friends over at variety they're gonna do a big story on it mm-hmm. like we, we've actually uncovered some pretty big news here so we uh we got that surprise drop uh we're gonna keep that this under our hats because there's still a few days we don't want any of the other stephen king podcasts out there to to figure out what we found and mm-hmm. uh, beat us to the the podcasting puncher. very yeah. serious business you gotta be you gotta be cutthroat. stay on top of this shit you yeah know? yeah now, no. what, what what would you say to people who have suggested as some have on twitter that we are perhaps playing an April Fool's Day prank. Well, one, how dare you? We mm-hmm. are a very serious podcast, for one. That's right. We don't do uh, jokes. We don't do gags or bits, things no, of that nature. Not, not here. And two, like I think the, the proof will just be in the pudding. Whenever you see this thing that we found, because what's crazy about this is it's actually tied into another popular King title. And it's crazy that nobody's talked about this thing yet. So... Um, it's not even just like, oh, here's a random throwaway seat. Like people I saw on Twitter were like, oh, it's like Creep Show 3. It's like, no, we've talked, we had AJ Bowen on in a bonus episode, and he talked about his experiences making Creep Show 3. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, that shit's been well covered. Uh, but it's like, you know, it's kind of in that vein where it's like as surprising as a lot of people found that there were more creep show movies. And this movie, I gotta say, we as we d- dive into it and peel the layers back, it might be one of the best Stephen King adaptations that we've seen. So I don't want There's to say any certainly more. certainly like a was, lot to chew on. Yeah, it. it's one and that you have to deconstruct a little bit, but once you kind mm-hmm. of pull it apart, you just realize how smart um, every decision is. And 
uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited about it. And if I keep talking about it, I'm just going to spoil it here. And, uh, you know, then we'll get like, you know, the Kingslingers or something. We'll, we'll beat us to the punch. So we don't, we don't want to, <laughs> yes. Yes, we don't, yes, yes. we don't want to, uh, to spoil it anymore. We don't want to, uh, you know, kind of tip our, our hand here. So we will not be discussing it further until it drops. In the meantime, we do have our regularly scheduled bonus episode hitting our Patreon this Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to tell the folks a little bit about that? Yeah, we are. Um, we're going to be talking to a writer by the name of Will Landman. Uh, mm-hmm. He is. Uh, uh, he's worked on a bunch of stuff, including a, a show that I was a, a really big fan of, Raised by Wolves, on mm-hmm. uh, HBO Max. It was that sci-fi thing that. Uh, Ridley Scott was doing. He comes into uh, it, it's pretty much a straightforward episode of mm. the show, and it's uh, we're covering Omni's last case from the Nightmares and Dreamscapes collection. So we're going to talk about that story. We're going to talk about uh, the adaptation they made for the Nightmares and Dreamscapes TV series, and yeah. I think this is we're getting close to having covered every episode of that series now. I think I was yeah, looking over the close. titles the other day, and I think there's only one, maybe two, that we haven't done yet. Yeah. Which we probably won't bother with, but um, <laughs> you never know. We're completionists, though. For that close, maybe we'll just assign somebody those yeah. final two, and those will make for good uh, bonus episode material. We'll um, make that a punishment episode for somebody. <laughs> um, yeah, Charles Soul keeps dreading whatever yeah. punishment episode we're gonna give him, so maybe we'll do that. Let's get that motherfucker in here. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He made uh, us watch the Firestarter remake that, so he has some, he has some revenge uh, uh, yeah. on order. Indeed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that will uh, that will be along on Friday. So any of you that are fans of King's mystery work or I guess his. Did I say history work? No, you said mystery work. Mystery. OK, well, anyone who's a fan of his mystery work or his meta mystery work, which is certainly how I would describe Omni's last case. Mm-hmm. Um, please look forward to that. And everyone else, go sign up for the Patreon. We got commentaries over there. We got interviews. We've got all kinds of shit. What do we always say? If you're only listening to the main feed, you're only getting half the show. And we mean that. That's a true thing. So go sign up immediately. Ah, do it. Daddy's got to move across the country. Okay. <laughs> this shit is getting expensive. Fucking. <laughs> I bet. So I'm that need is a new pair of shoes. Pretty www.patreon.com slash the king cast. Yes, indeed. Adios, folks. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Andley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. 